still my soul. And I ask you this morning, is that your prayer? In you I rest. In God alone. Is that where you put your rest? Or what is the reality? Are you trying to put your faith and trust in the things of this world? My wife alluded to a year ago, and I had actually forgotten about it with the whole technology issues. But there's been times that the Lord has, sh- has shown me, you know, you put too much faith in your technology. He says, yes, I've provided it to you to accomplish what I have for you, but remember, it's me that does it. I don't know if I've related that story to you before, but this little prompting device that I use, the first time I left the state to hold revival meetings, I got up for the first message that morning and the earbuds would not work. And they had another set at the church and they didn't work. And I ended up doing the message from memory that morning. And the Lord provided and He carried me through it. And then I was like, there's got to be something wrong with my little prompting device that I use. And I got back to the house where we're staying at and I got out one of my spare sets of earbuds and they worked perfectly. So you tell me that it wasn't God that two different sets of earbuds failed that morning and it was Him showing me not to put my faith in those things. Yes, it's okay to use them. It's okay to, to trust that, that He will provide through them. But He just showed me different times, where do I rest? Where do I put my faith? What a beautiful example He's given us this year and all throughout our lives. This morning already I've alluded somewhat to Mother's Day and the message that the Lord's given me this morning doesn't really pertain directly to Mother's Day But I do want to take an opportunity again to remember the ladies, the mothers who have affected my life. And I believe my parents are here this morning and mom had said they were going to come and I think I heard dad clear his throat there a little earlier. So (laughs) pretty sure they're back there. But what a blessing she has been and dad. But looking at mothers this morning and and just looking at raising a blind child and wondering how the responsibility that they would have had on their shoulders and I just praise the Lord that they were faithful and above all they loved me and they didn't they didn't despair but they set an example for me and, and they, they trusted that, that God would provide for me I'm sure there was times of anxiety especially when they moved me to Evansville to live by myself but the Lord did provide and I want to praise the Lord this morning for my mother-in-law and for raising my wife and I don't know if you know all the details about my wife and I's relationship my mother-in-law gave her oldest daughter to a blind man who was nine years older than her daughter. And her daughter was just barely, not quite 19 when we got married. So the, the trust that she exercised there and what a blessing that was. And then my wife, what an amazing gift she is. And you guys have all gotten little tastes of that this year as you've gotten to know her. I, my prayer is that you get to know her better because she truly is an amazing gift to me and an amazing mother of our five children. And I truly could not stand here this morning and fulfill the task that God has given me to minister to this church without an amazing helpmate. So on this Mother's Day, those are three ladies who I give a great deal of praise to. And I, and I give the praise to God, but what an amazing gift He's given me in those three ladies in my life. So I just want to take the opportunity to share that this morning. You know, we've been talking about partiality as we go through James, and I guess I wouldn't be really sinful with it. I am a little partial to those three ladies, so no offense. But, but as we talk about partiality, we've talked about why that partiality, why that favoritism is wrong. We've talked about why God counts it as sin. 
we've compared it to other sins, just as James did when he compared it to adultery, when he compared it to murder. We've talked about those things. We've talked about the consequences of allowing those sins to willfully continue in our lives. And last, last two weeks ago when I spoke, we talked about how just one sin in itself would keep us out of heaven, but for the grace of God. So we've talked about its effect. We've talked about what it causes. Now, as we close out this section, as we look at verses 12 and 13 in James chapter 2, James is leaving this, this section of Scripture with an exhortation. He's leaving it with a word of encouragement to his readers, a word of encouragement to us. As, again, as I said, we'll start in chapter 2, starting in verse 12. And James says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to study your text again, Lord. God, I thank you for this day also that has been set aside to remember the mothers that in our lives, the mothers who you have blessed us with, Father. And I praise you for that, God. But Lord, as we look at this text this morning, we thank you, Lord, for mercy, Father. We praise you, Lord, as we look through this and we learn truly what mercy is and what it means to us and the, the responsibility that we have to exercise mercy to those around us, Father. Lord, I just pray that you would guide us through this time, Lord. I also especially pray that you would touch my voice, Lord, that it would be strong enough to carry through this time this morning, Lord. And I trust, Lord, that you will provide and that you will make a way, Father. And we praise you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before... We get too deep into mercy. I just want to say, Josh, I love you too. So. No, I truly do. And it has been a blessing to work with Josh and with Eric and the team of elders this year. And it's just, it has been amazing in the last couple of weeks to reflect over this, this year. And just, just in awe and praising God of what he has provided. Well, as you see in your outline, we have three different points we want to look at. And the first one we want to look at as we look at these two verses is how. And I guess the question is, how are we supposed to act? What are we supposed to do? And James says, so speak and so act. Well, that kind of covers everything, doesn't it? Everything, every interaction we do in life, we're either acting something out with our body or we're speaking words to someone, aren't we? So he covers everything with so speak and so act. And he's very specific. He doesn't just say, so speak and act. He doesn't want one of these to be emphasized over another. He gives the so to both of them in this text and it says so speak and so act that's so subtle but it's true he wants us to understand that everything we say and do needs to be focused on this he, he goes on to say so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty well, what does that mean to be judged under the law of liberty well the first question we want to act as we define these words we want to ask what is what does judge mean what does what is judgment what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of the word judgment? When well, my mind, much of my life, when I think of judgment, you jump directly to punishment. You jump directly to condemnation. You jump directly to penalty. If you're judging someone, you're punishing them for what they did. And we go right to the verse in Matthew chapter 7. Judge not. 
for the measure you, for how you judge, you will be judged. For you be not judged. You will be judged in the same way that you judge others. The word judgment, the root word behind it, actually simply means a decision. A verdict, basically, when you're thinking in the court system. But to be a judgment is simply a decision. It's a decision of guilt or innocence. It's a decision that has to be made concerning a wrong that was perpetrated. As you think of the court system, what is a judge's first job as he hears a case? He is supposed to decide guilt or innocence. He is to make a decision. And it may be a jury. Whether it's a judge or a jury, the first job they have is to decide guilt or innocence when you enter the courtroom. Once the decision has been made, if it was a decision of guilty, then a sentence has to be given. Uh, A verdict of the penalty. What is to happen since this guilty verdict was passed down? Guilt or innocence is supposed to be decided under the law of liberty. That's what James is saying is, is as one who is judged by the law of liberty. Your guilt or innocence is to be judged by the law of liberty as opposed to the law. You know, it, this is a very specific law. It says the law, not just the law, but the law of liberty. What is that? What is the law of liberty? Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about royal law. Paul clears this up a little more, and we want to go to his scripture, to one of his letters in Romans, his letter to the Romans. Start in Romans chapter 8, we'll start with verse 1. He says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life also could be known as the law of liberty, the perfect law, the royal law. That law has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law, the law of sin and death. That's the Old Testament law. He goes on to say, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, weakened by her humanity, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned the sin, not the sinner. As I read these verses, like, wow, how clear that is. Jesus came and he condemned the sin, but not the sinner. The sin will not enter heaven. The sin will not enter eternity in heaven with us. The sin is condemned. It will end. But when the sinner puts his faith in Jesus Christ, the sinner will not be condemned. Why is that? He goes on to say, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Wow. It it goes on to say, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Before Christ, before Christ came, before the sacrifice was made by Christ's death and resurrection when they were simply under the Old Testament law, when a judgment was made, when the decision was made of guilt or innocent, there was no debate on the sentence. The sentence was set. You look at the Old Testament laws and you look at all of the consequences that were laid out for the sins that were to be perpetrated, to the sins that were were to be committed. The decision ended up being the penalty because the penalty was pre-assigned. That's the way the Old Testament law worked. 
And it was a matter of when that penalty would be exercised, not if it would be exercised, because the law stated it. The law commanded it. And what happened when Jesus came, when Jesus came to the earth, when he was persecuted, when he was crucified, and when he died and was resurrected, he broke the connection between the decision and the penalty. He destroyed that connection. They were no longer united indefinitely or without question. He broke that connection. Do you understand that this morning? It separated those two. (coughs) James said again, he said, so speak and so act. He's telling us to walk in freedom. Walk in the freedom that we have. He says, basically he's saying, don't speak and don't act condemned because you're not condemned. You're set free by the royal law, by the law of liberty. He says, don't act like it's a burden to live a life of obedience to your creator. Walk in freedom. But he says, he's, he's basically telling them, and he, and he talks about through this whole letter to, the, to, the, to these uh, Jews scattered all over the countryside. He's telling them, but live a life of obedience. He's telling them to seek obedience. That's how, that's what happens when we act out our works. If you remember when we were back in James chapter 1, verse 25, it says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So speak and so act. Do. Don't just ingest the head knowledge. Don't just learn and collect knowledge. Act on it. Live a life of obedience. That's what James is telling them. So he's telling them, so speak and so act as one who's under the law of liberty. To know that you are not condemned. We're not condemned this morning when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So how do we act? Well, he's talked about partiality in this section of scripture. He mentioned murder. He mentioned adultery. Two weeks ago we talked about a list of other sins and and that list can grow pretty long. As Christians, when we act and, and when we so speak and so act as though we are judged by the law of liberty, we understand that, yeah, we're human, we're going to fail, but we understand that we're not condemned by that. And when we're walking in the law of liberty, we, in the, in the depths of our heart, have no desire to live in sin. That doesn't mean we're not going to commit sin. But in our heart, our desire is turned toward God to overcome that sin. That's what James is exhorting them to. Well, that's the how. Well, why, why do we do this? Well, James is going to tell us why. And he talks about the consequences. He says, for judgment is without mercy to those who show no mercy. Well, what is mercy? How do you define mercy? Well, the dictionary defines it as compassion or forgiveness shown to one who you have the power to punish. Compassion or forgiveness shown to one who you have the power to punish. Who you think you have the right to punish. I ask you this morning, has someone wronged you? Do you have the power to punish that person? Do you have the means to punish that person? Can you make them miserable? Can you exercise some sort of financial punishment upon them? Could you take them to court? Could you speak badly about them? Could you destroy their reputation? 
In many cases, we have the power to do that. Do they deserve to be punished? Do they deserve what's coming to them? Is that the attitude that you battle with in your heart? I want to ask you this morning, have you wronged someone else? I challenge you this morning, you have wronged someone else. I have wronged many people. I have wronged my wife and all five of my children at some point in their lives, even their young lives, because I am in the flesh. I sometimes have a short fuse. I sometimes have a bad day. I sometimes make selfish choices. We've all wronged people, and we've all been wronged. What do we do? Well, if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the second commandment. What was that second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, we define how you love yourself. You ask yourself, how would I want to be treated? Would I want someone to act selfishly toward me and just be in things for themselves? Would I want someone, as we talked about partiality, to hold someone else above me? How would I feel when they do that to me? That's, what we, that's how we examine ourselves and if we're loving our neighbor as ourselves, if you remember that. I asked you this morning, if you drive a car and you're going 56 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour per hour zone, boy, words aren't coming, and you get pulled over, seems kind of unfair, doesn't it? You're risking a little over the speed limit. Surely he could show you a little what? A little mercy. Or do you deserve to be punished? You broke the law. The speed limit was 55 miles an hour. You broke the law by one mile per hour. Maybe someone has been stopped and given a ticket for that. I don't know. But typically that doesn't happen. Mercy is exercised daily in our lives and we exercise it to others but do we truly understand it I ask you this morning have you been shown mercy can you think of instances where you've been shown immense mercy mercy where it just blew your mind as to the person was able to forgive you the person was able to look past your failure Romans chapter 6 verse 23 for the wages of sin is death the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The answer this morning is, have you been shown mercy? If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have been shown mercy that cannot be measured. Because every one of us deserves eternity in hell, but for the grace of God. And the reality is, God is the one who made mercy possible. Remember, we talked about mercy We talked about how when God sent His Son, we talked about the power of the cross and how it separated the decision from the penalty. That's mercy. Separating the penalty from the decision is mercy. God made that mercy possible. Remember, the law called sin, sin. And under the law, once guilt was established, the penalty was assumed. The penalty was to be exercised, no questions asked. Under grace, which is what we live under now, which was given to us by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, mercy disconnects, disconnects the two. Remember, to love, when you love your neighbor as yourself, 
Let's look at Matthew 7, chapter 2. If you remember chapter, I mean, verse 1 was, judge not, lest you be judged. Verse 2 goes into a little more detail. He says, for the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How do we exercise mercy on others? Jesus is telling them, the measure in which you do anything, the measure in which you exercise mercy, that's the mercy that will be exercised to us. John chapter 8. You remember the story of the adulterous woman. These group of scribes and Pharisees brought her to Jesus, and they brought her for the sole purpose to set Jesus up. They were still so confused as to why he was trying to dismiss these laws and they were really hurt because he was taking their power away. So he's going to bring this woman to Jesus and say, under the law, she was caught in the act. There's no separation of the decision, the guilty, and the penalty, which is death in this case. That's what they wanted to show him. But what did he do? He told them, let them who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow. What he did was, he gave them perspective. He gave them perspective on the measure that they were using, the unfair scales that they were using. And what happened? Every single one of them, as you read the story, you remember the story, they walked away because they knew their guilt. They knew that they were in no place to judge this woman. What amazing wisdom God God displayed to us there. You go on to verse 10 of chapter 8, John chapter 8. Jesus looks at the woman. And he stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and for now, from now on, sin no more. What did Jesus do there? He showed her mercy. He disconnected the guilt from the penalty, and he showed her mercy. He cast no condemnation upon her. But he did tell her to sin no more. You see, mercy is not ignoring sin. Mercy is not ignoring the guilty verdict. But is removing the penalty from it. It's withholding the penalty from it. Josh read in Matthew 18 this morning. You look at that servant who was forgiven such a large debt, yet he turned around and refused to show mercy in a much smaller way. And what happened? The, his, his boss, his master, revoked the mercy that he had shown him, and he made him pay the full penalty. And it goes on to say, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. Well, that's the why. We went through the how and the why. Now we want to look at the what. What is the effect of mercy? What is the effect? The verse says that mercy triumphs over judgment. What does that mean to us as Christians? What does it mean for mercy to triumph over judgment? What is the effect of mercy? It gives us another chance. 
it identifies our wrong, it identifies our sin. And as I said before, mercy doesn't ignore the sin. And I think many times in our church, this is where we failed. We almost excuse the sin. The sin is not to be excused. The sin, as Paul told us, itself is condemned. So we need to call sin, sin. But then in an act of ultimate love, we exercise mercy, as God exercised mercy for us, to give us an opportunity to learn and to mature. If you look at legal mercy, what do first offenders typically get? Just imagine a a verdict of guilty has been passed down in, in whatever offense was committed. Many times when it comes to the sentencing, they'll they'll take into account any past history, their criminal record. And if they have a record, they have a tendency of increasing the penalty. Why? Because the goal is to restore, to teach, to rehabilitate the person. It's not to condemn them to a life in prison. Sadly, sometimes it comes to that when a person just repeatedly refuses to acknowledge the laws of the land. But the ultimate goal of our court system is rehabilitation. And yeah, there's some corrupt areas, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about, in its essence, the purpose of our court system is rehabilitation. To point out the wrongs that these people have committed. To put them in a place where they're safe and where the others who they have perpetrated the wrongs against can be safe. And then that person can think about what they've done and understand the consequences of it. You see, God shows us mercy on earth. He shows us mercy for our sins as we live here on earth. Why? To give us opportunity to grow. Our sins are pointed out. We can see what the consequences could have been to give us opportunity to grow. God made eternal mercy possible. No one else could have done that. We could not have been given the righteousness necessary to enter into eternity with God but for Christ doing that for us. He made that eternal forever mercy possible for us. He also made mercy possible, made mercy possible here on earth. Now, I talked about how sometimes He removes the consequences of our failures here on earth. Sometimes He chooses not to. And as we interpret these things, it seems unfair that one person has to suffer for their mistakes and another doesn't. But the thing we have to remember when we're looking at situations like that, God is all-loving and all-knowing. He exercises mercy as we live here on earth for His purposes. And it's ultimately for our good. It's not for His pleasure, but it's for our good that He exercises mercy that in some cases he withholds penalty. In other cases, he exercises penalty, allows the penalty to be exercised. It's to give us opportunity to grow. He knows exactly what we need. He is a father who knows every detail of our hearts. He knows what's in our hearts, and he knows what it's going to take to get it out of our hearts. And that's why he exercises his sovereignty and his discretion in, in how he exercises mercy on our physical lives. And we can get so focused on how mercy is exercised in these lives that we forget about the ultimate gift of eternal mercy that He is waiting for us when we persevere, when we remain in faith and trust in Him. The reality is, judgment without mercy is final. 
If we were still under the Old Testament law, the Old Testament judgment, if we were judged guilty for something, it's final. The penalty is going to be exercised. We are going to receive that penalty. No questions asked. It doesn't matter if it's a first offense. It doesn't matter if it was a mistake. If we are guilty, we will pay the penalty. And as you look at that, sometimes black and white seems easier, doesn't it? Sometimes it's hard to exercise mercy because we have to discern, should we show mercy or is this a time for a penalty, penalty to actually be executed on a person because they need to learn? And that's a hard call to make sometimes. And sometimes God asks us to make that call with our children, with our family members, with our co-workers, with our fellow brothers in Christ. But the reality is that's why we need to be in tune with God. We need to be seeking Him in prayer and in Scripture reading, reading the Scripture to understand the nature of God, to understand who He is. So yeah, sometimes it seems like it would be easier if it was just black or white. You do this, this is what happens to you. But praise God, that's not the way it is. Because yeah, it seems easier when you're making the judgment on other people, but we don't want that exercised on us. We really sit down and think about it. Can you imagine a world without mercy? Can you imagine a world absent of any kind of mercy? Well, the guilty would get what's coming to them, right? I ask you this morning, take an inventory of yourself. And you don't have to take a very long inventory before I ask who in this room is guilty and my hand's going up. Remember, just one sin and we're guilty of breaking the entire law. So who among us is guilty? We all are. But for the grace of God. So if this world was absent of mercy, none of us would be here. This world would cease to exist but for mercy that was provided to us by the grace of God. Remember, murder, the consequence is death. Adultery, in the Old Testament law, the sentence is death. Wow. Praise God for His mercy. Praise God for breaking the connection between decision and penalty. Praise God for standing in that gap and making it possible for us to receive mercy. John chapter 1 verse 17. It says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, mercy can be exercised. Mercy came because of Christ's sacrifice. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Wow. He says, For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He didn't come for the healthy. Christ came for the sick. The reality is we cannot give eternal mercy. We cannot forgive someone's sins for eternity. Only Christ could do that and only Christ did that. That penalty has been paid. That mercy is available to us because of that payment that was made. <coughs> the reality is we have the opportunity to show mercy here on earth. It's not easy to do though, is it? I talked about how each one of us in this room has been wronged. There are some among us 
and I have no one person in mind, but there are some of us who have been deeply hurt, deeply wrong. We are justifiably hurt by the sin that was perpetrated, that was committed against us. There are some hurts that have been exercised on us that are beyond description. Many of you have your own stories. And it is so hard to exercise mercy in those cases. It just seems impossible to exercise mercy in those cases. But what happens when we willfully refuse to exercise mercy, to embrace the opportunity that we have to forgive? Well, James gives us a warning. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Let's restate that just a little bit and bring a little clarification. As I've, as I've drawn some distinction between eternal mercy and earthly mercy. For final judgment is without eternal mercy. The mercy that only God could provide for us is not available to one who has shown no earthly mercy. Now he says, no mercy. So yeah, there's going to be times that we withhold mercy because why? We live in the flesh. We are human beings. That flesh, you remember what Paul told us in Romans, was that's the reason that the law failed because it had to go through our flesh. Our flesh is weak. So yeah, we're going to struggle with with giving mercy sometimes. God understands that. That's why he shows us mercy. That's why he gives us opportunity to grow and to learn. So just withholding mercy in one instance doesn't condemn us. That's not our God. But when we willfully make the decision, we are not going to forgive. We will never show mercy. We may even make those statements sometimes. But God knows our heart. And He knows that even sometimes when we make those statements, it's not our heart. But the reality is when we turn our back on God, when we dig our heels in, and refuse to show mercy. That's the penalty that comes. We will not receive the eternal mercy. That's what James is telling us. That's what God tells us. And I think he tells us that with a very sad and broken heart because it's not his desire. His desire that it is that everyone will be saved. And the reality is Christ paid the ultimate penalty to make that eternal mercy available to us. James exhorted his readers to exercise mercy. I exhort you this morning to exercise mercy. I encourage you this morning to make it about God. Like I said, we have legitimate hurts. Many of us have legitimate hurts. But the reality is when we refuse to show mercy, to exercise mercy, to to show forgiveness, we make it all about us. We make it all about our pains. We make it all about our hurts as deep and as real and as understandable as they are, when we refuse to show mercy, we make it all about us. We're telling God when we do that that we know better than He does. We're looking at God and saying, I can't forgive. I can't show mercy. You don't understand. I have to take this stand. When we do that, we're telling God, we know better than you. We're, we're God. It's in essence what we're saying. The reality is, if we truly appreciate a gift, and that's what grace is. That's what eternal mercy, mercy and forgiveness for our sins so that we can receive the righteousness of God. It is a gift. And when we truly understand a gift that God has given us, think about it when you give a gift to someone. How do you know if they truly appreciate it? They tell other people about it. They share it with other people. They rejoice in it. 
They don't keep it to themselves, do they? Well, look at the gifts that God has given us. Look at grace. Look at mercy. Look at the love He gives us. When we truly appreciate the gifts that He gives us, and looking specifically at mercy, when we truly appreciate mercy, we're going to give that mercy to other people. We're going to exercise our opportunity to show mercy because we love God that much. And then we make it about God and not about us. That's the opportunity He gives us. If we really understand mercy, if we really understand what Christ did for us, we will show mercy. Ultimately, we will exercise mercy. Do you understand mercy this morning? Do you understand what God did for you? Do you understand what He is asking us to do? Are you believing the lies that Satan is telling you and are you trying to exercise the consequences on your own? Are you trying to pass sentence on those who have wronged you? You see, Satan has lied to you and told you that you're the one who has to bring the penalty. You're the one that has to make that person pay. The reality is you can't. Or you may be able to make it a little uncomfortable for them on this world. But eventually they're going to pass into eternity. But what Satan's doing when he lies to you and he tells you that, he is making you miserable and he knows it. He wants you to be wrapped up in that bitterness. And the way you overcome that bitterness is to truly receive the mercy that God offers us. And the way you receive the mercy that God offers us is you in prayer and dedication of searching your heart seek to give that mercy to others who have wronged you. And I said that's not an easy task. But it is a blessing. When we're able to see through the lies that Satan speaks to us. The lies that he tries to bury us in. And we look past that and we look to the truth and the blessing and the liberty, the freedom that is available to us when we embrace the mercy that God has given us and we reciprocate it. We give it to those around us. What an amazing gift that is. I pray that that is your desire this morning. I pray that that is your wish this morning. Let's pray.